Before we begin, this episode contains some adult themes, including alcohol and illness, in case you're sensitive to these issues or have kids around. The only time we quit, the only time we really fail, when we stop breathing. I know, I nearly failed. I nearly screwed my life up. I nearly stopped breathing. Well, I did, I stopped breathing. Body shuts down. You're done. You can't go again. Can't go again. See, you failed. How easy is it for you to set aside the past and carry on? Can you just take the lessons and step away from the emotions, the pain, the guilt? Not just pull yourself back up and start over, but truly forgive yourself and begin again. You're listening to The Journey, a new podcast by Volkswagen committed to unraveling the truth behind the road to greatness. We're all about the journey that got you there. This is a raw behind-the-scenes look into the lives of incredible people who found success, often against all odds. I'm Yasmin. We've been talking to those who share our joy for moving people, culture, or themselves. People like our guest today, Paul Evans. It's 2020 and the awareness around things like learning disorders and mental issues is perhaps better widespread compared to just a decade ago, let alone four decades ago. Back then, if you struggled with a learning disability like dyslexia, no one really knew how to properly help you. Yeah, one of the, one of the most challenging memories as a child um, was, I remember being dragged, dragged up in front of class constantly to spell certain words in front of the classroom but there was one particular incident where one one senior teacher in that school had a real dislike for me um he made me that his target that particular day um, and i was asked to come in front of the whole class and spell three words um country crocodile library um first word i got the c wrong or the o wrong i can't remember the whole class laughing at you 35 kids giggling 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 I remember I was shaking. I was so, so embarrassed, so nervous, so angry that, that you would do this to me. He was taking joy in it. It was fun for him. Um, then we move on to the second world and he, he picks a C. And I thought he was playing with me. Country or crocodile. Does crocodile be? He wouldn't give me two Cs, so it's got to begin with K. So I want the K. Chuckles of laughter. This guy's just absolute disgruntlement at me as he then chucks the word crocodile in chalk across the blackboard and bangs it. And at that point, I said some very bad words to him. I stormed out of school um, and stormed home. To many, Paul's starting point would already be a disadvantage. To be bullied over something you absolutely cannot control is scarring enough. And a lot of these moments resurfaced as he documented them for his book, When I Woke Up, written by Caroline Coe. I had this little thought process and this little mythology when I put stuff in a box. I'd go out into the deepest ocean that there is, dive down, dig a hole, bury it, and then never, ever think about it again. Um, having to do the book, I had to go and get that stuff. So to not play the victim is a thought process that's been coming at me recently. Um, to sit there and talk about how hard it was to be a dyslexic child at 13, getting bullied, getting beaten up. and Yeah. But it gave me something. I remember an incident when I was 13, curling up in a ball on a school playground and being booted and kicked. 
And it wasn't the kicks, it wasn't the punches, it was the humiliation of giving up, of curling into a ball, of quitting. And I promised myself I would never do that again. So I've managed over time to turn that challenges and those negative things into a positive. You know, as a troubled child, you are exposed to certain experiences that build you. You don't realise it at the time. You're 13, you're 14, you, you've got no idea what that stuff is doing. But I won't dance, even today, as a, as a guy who owns however many venues I've owned, I won't dance through the fear that somebody laughs at me, through the fear of somebody goes, oh, look at him, I won't sing. You know, you for all the money in the world, I couldn't go on a karaoke machine because I've got these insecurities that come from being a child, lying on the floor, being kicked and laughed at. That built me a certain way. Um, that's the stuff that makes me the man I am today. It, it, it builds you and that self-doubt and those darknesses at some point resurfaced and, and those insecurities came back at me and I started to doubt what was my purpose, what am I here to do, why am I the way I am and I, I couldn't get out of it. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see the end of the journey I was on. I've, I had this, this thought process of I'm here and there's success, if you like, somewhere up into the universe. And I was just chasing this, this impossible target of success trying to prove all those doubters wrong from when I was 13. And it hit me at 37, 38. And I had to go through some thought processes and some treatment and some ideas to, to make me realise that those self-doubts were just self-doubt. And some um, methods and mythology to, to do what is, I call flags in the sand. So now I have a multitude of these little service stations along the way of different parts of my life where I'm super proud of. This will be another one. This will be a huge one. I'm able to get my message out and, and help more people than just my closest circle. This will be a huge flag in the sand for me. It's a very cool stuff to do, and this a life coach taught me that. And then that's when I developed this thought process of chasing the best version of me. Visualise the perfect Paul. If I could write down exactly what he looks like, what's he doing, who's he with, What's his business like? How is he as a father? How is he as a son? What's he like as a husband, a boyfriend, a friend, a companion? What does the perfect version of me look like? Right. Boom. I'm coming for you. That's the guy I want to be. Not Bill Gates, President Clinton. No, no, no. That's the guy I want to be. I want to because because I, I can achieve that guy. I can't be George Clooney. I can't be Bill Gates. I can't be you. I can only be me. But what's the version of me? Because if I look at the version of me when I was 13 compared to the version of me at 45, even at 40, even at 35, you, th you know, that, that thought process of what do I want to do, what job, who do I want to, just really build the best version of you. You know, you're on the, the set of Waterworld 4 as the director. That's who I want to be. That's the person you chase. Paul's been recognised as the golden boy of sales by GE Capital and achieved tremendous success today. But if you trace his story to its early days, and you review the journey, none of it came without challenges. In 2001, he moved to Egypt to co-found his company and reinvent Egypt's nightlife scene. I went from being a, a troubled, distressed, timid, bullied, lacking self-confident kid to getting a job, and becoming quite good in my industry um, and feeling success and the momentum of 
self-doubt and, and lack of confidence and all the rest of it started to swing the other way. Started to swing towards arrogance, overconfident, self-centered. And I'd invested into a nightclub. And then that took me into a whole new momentum of suddenly I was famous, suddenly I was somebody, suddenly there were 700 people in my club. I was drinking, I was partying, I was having fun. And I went from being a rather insecure individual to being somebody who's extremely arrogant, self-centered, and I didn't really like me. And then, bang, the lights went out. I woke up in the morning, July 24th. Within 12 hours, my lungs had collapsed. I was in intensive care. They gave me a lung punch, but I was awakeful. Three days later, my father was told that if we don't get your son home in 24 hours, he'll be he'll be gone. You've got four days to get him home. It's day day three, um, and my man, my dad managed to somehow somehow raise the money to pay for an air ambulance to fly to Egypt, pick me up, and on day four and a half, I was flown back to England, and then I spent the next 77 days in a pancreatic coma in intensive care. What did that feel like? The coma and, and, and the illness, the pain and the challenge was for everyone else that was around me. That's the bit I'd change, that's the bit I'd take away. Not what happened to me, I was asleep. I, okay, it hurt and it stung and it wasn't nice watching a spike get drove into me. But that's just a distant memory, it's a faded memory. The fresh memory and the raw memory is still, you know, my parents sitting at the end of my bed, my dad every single day, 24 hours a day, praying that I wake up. That's the painful stuff, that's the hard stuff, and that, that doesn't help me get stronger, that doesn't help me get better, because that was somebody else's pain. When it all happens, you are... As I say, I, I wasn't aware of what was happening. When I came out of it, and you then start to realise what had actually happened and, and what, how close you came then, yeah, that, that, that's some powerful, strong stuff. But then, I, you know, I try to put a reason to it. I, um, I put a reason to why I'm dyslexic. I might not be able to spell and write, but I have a pretty high IQ. I'm able to use what I'm good at and not really worry too much about what I'm not good at. The coma was another instance. You know, why did that happen to me? Why was it so strong? Why was I given a second chance? All of these questions that come at you when you come through something, you're so lucky... Why? Why am I so lucky? You know, this is not winning the lottery. I'm lucky because I bought a ticket. No, this was my life. I was I was lucky to be given a second chance. So to get into that and to understand why, you know, I, I genuinely believe it's it's for me to be able to go off and do real meaningful stuff with other people to really use why I'm on this planet to do the best stuff. And then obviously what will happen with my sons and, and where they will go and the evolution of Paul. I'm an evolution of my father. My kids are an evolution of me. And, you know, I'm super excited to see what they will do with their lives on the back of me being given a second chance from the coma because that's what it was. It was most certainly this, this, this kid has a value. He doesn't realise it yet, so I'm going to hit him with everything I've got. It took 77 days for Paul to recover, to gain some semblance of normalcy and actually live through the empire he found himself in the middle of. But it wasn't long before that came to a painful halt. In 2011, Paul had to close shop in the wake of the Arab Spring that hit Egypt and other countries in the region. 
moving to Dubai to re-establish his venture. Losing my business in, in, in Egypt was just so fast and so furious. And again, I wouldn't be where I am today if I'd not lost that business in Egypt. I wouldn't be sitting in this wonderful city of Dubai, living the amazing life that I live, surrounded by the stunning people I'm surrounded by. So again, I was able to take that failure or that challenge and turn it into something positive. The one bit I've not managed to figure out yet is how I'm able to deal with the pain that I caused other people that were around me when I was going through that stuff. Um, I've not been able to turn that into a into a power just yet. But when it comes to myself and the stuff that I had to deal with, it made me the man I am. And, and you know, I have to say thank you for that. I have to that kid who beat me up in the playground. I, I, I applaud him. Thank you so much because it gave me something that I probably wouldn't have had if he'd not done that. What do you think your failure has taught you? I don't think I've ever failed. And that, that's the thing that it's taught me, that you only actually fail when you stop. And this is something that I've driven through my whole life. I don't quit. So I, I go to the absolute floor, and I've been there a number of times. But I never gave up. I never said, that's it, I'm done here. Um, I always found a way to come back. So, you know, I, I, I don't have the failure gene in my body. I, I have... Sometimes when it's it's challenging and I don't think I'm going to make it and I don't think I know what to do next, but I don't have quit. I have, it's tough, it's difficult, it's hard, but I will find a way. And because of all the stuff I've been through, I've got this inbred thing in me that I have managed to get through so much stuff. So don't quit, just let time do its job and eventually I will come out of whichever dark place or low part of my life I'm in. And so what have those dark places been like? It's a horrible, horrible, horrible place. Not many people understand it. There's a stigma attached to it. You know, in today's world, we, we want to learn to play tennis, so we go and get a tennis coach. We want to go to the gym and get fit. We get a PT instructor. When we start to have self-doubt and we start to have thought processes that we're not sure about, we go in. We don't go and talk to people. We might talk to our friend, we might have a beer in the bar and have a bit of a moan. There's not a massive understanding of just how the mental mind works at times. And when you are that person that's in that dark place and you're just screaming for it to go away, you're screaming for, for some form of help and it's, it's not simple. You, know, you, you can't just walk into a room and say, I, I want this bicep to get bigger. And the guy says, OK, do this, 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 this and this, it will get bigger. I want this pain to go away. Okay, we have to go, we have to dig, we have to delve, we have to go and find where that problem came from. And then we have to repair and we have to reconnect and we have to fix the lines of, of doubt that you have in your mind. It's a very, very long journey. I mean, I was, I was in a dark place for probably three or four years of my life, late 30s, uh, where it just stopped connecting the way it should connect. And, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to people that, were hopefully going to help me through that process and eventually I found somebody that did and I started to see the light again and come up to the surface and not look back fortunately enough. Today Paul's life is about the day-to-day -day things he does. Fighting up, looking forward. To him, history is a fabulous thing that cannot be changed. Yesterday can be chalked down to experience, but it's tomorrow that we can do something about you know, I get asked quite regularly how I deal with losing a business or getting over an illness that, that took nearly a year. You know, everybody's going through their own stuff. You know, I, I, 
I have this thing about putting it in a box and, and, and burying it in the ocean for the, for, the, for the darkest of stuff. But I have this other little mythology that works for me and it, it's an incredibly powerful tool that I learned to use where I enter a shower and that thing sits on my shoulders, whatever it may be. And I don't leave the shower until I've washed it off. And I sit there and I visualise just the dirt, the pain, the anguish, the, the fear, the, 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 the challenge itself. And I just let the water wash it away. And some showers take a little bit longer than others. I think the, the losing my business in Egypt took me about 45 minutes before I left that shower. But I promised myself when I left it, when I came out of the shower, I would never think negatively about it again. I would not allow it to affect how I am tomorrow. Because it was done, I can't change it. I can't, doesn't matter how much time you spend trying to fix it, you can't fix it, it's gone. Can't fix the pain of being ill for a year. Can't fix the pain that I caused everybody else. What I can do is cleanse myself of it, forgive myself, forgive the other people that may have done something that put me in that place. Go into the shower and just stand there and let the water just wash it away and visualise cleaning it, get it off you. Let it go down the drain. Don't think about it again. You have another daily ritual. Yeah, beach walks. Um, the interesting thing about a beach walk is it does a couple of things for me. It gives me an hour where I'm connecting with the earth. It gives me an hour where I'm, I'm, I'm at one with the ocean and at one with the sea. And the sea has always, has always had a powerful connection to me. My happy place is under the ocean, swimming around as many sharks as I can find. That's where I'm at my most calmest, if you like. What I do on the beach walk is it gives me the chance to reflect, think about stuff, process certain things. Um, but the most important thing that I do on that beach walk is there's two ends of the beach and on both ends of the beach is a pile of rocks. And I, I learned this process of touching the rock and saying thank you for something. Every day I get to say thank you for multiple things. Um, but I'm, I put my foot on the rock and I have a certain thought process. I'm blessed for my girl. I'm blessed for the people around me. I'm blessed for doing a VW advert. In, in the morning in my house whatever it may be I am blessed um, and it just humbles you brings you back to normality they're not big sometimes I'm thankful I've got a cat doesn't matter I'm just thankful one rock walk for an hour second rock walk home um, and no matter how dark I have been as I've walked out to that beach I felt percentages better when I walked off just different degrees but I always felt better um, and I've just not stopped doing it. I started it about three and a half years ago and I don't go to sleep, so I've done it. I try and do it in the morning. Sometimes I sleep in, sometimes I'm human, sometimes I don't get out of bed at 6.30. Um, but I won't go to sleep till it's done. So if it means I finish work at midnight, I come home, put my little shorts on, walk out to the beach, thank you, thank you. And then I go home and I go to sleep. Blessings. Say thank you. Paul's childhood shaped the man he eventually became, developing mental toughness as he fought those stigmas in the early years. How has that impacted your own parenthood? Obviously, having such a close relationship to my dad gave me a, a great insight into how to be a father. Um, there's no book, there's no manual. We've all read that a thousand times. Um, I think because of the life I've been through and the, the life I've lived, um, I do have a lot of experience that a teenage boy, teenage boy or a, a young boy, maybe not so much, but definitely the teenager, I'm able to try and help and guide him through some of the stuff that, that I went through. He's a lot smarter than I am. 
Um, he's probably a bit better looking as well, so he's, he's probably not faced with some of the stuff I was faced with. Um, but yeah, I try to I try to be his friend. I think that's the the first thing that I try to achieve with him. And sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that you know you, you've got to be a dad. Um, but I try as often. You know, I don't like shouting at the kids, and I don't. You know, I, I don't believe that is a is a particularly good way of, of educating or showing people. Um, I don't really shout at anybody. I think people don't tend to listen and they're not open to what you're trying to say. So I try and carry my my style and my management way through through all the aspects of my life, wherever it may be, not just kids, people I work with, people I'm in relationships with, um, or the person I'm in a relationship with. Um, so yeah, I have, I have a wonderful, I have a wonderful uh, relationship with my two boys. I have a 13-year-old and I have a, a diamond of a six-year-old who's that that little boy's going to change the world. That that little guy's going to come up with something that alters alters the globe in a positive manner. He is pff, ridiculously smart. Looking back today, what would you tell the man that you used to be? Which one? There's been three or four or five versions of me throughout my career, throughout my life. You know, there was the teenager. Um, the young boy who was I wasn't a bad boy, I wasn't a naughty boy I, I wasn't evil I was just massively misunderstood massively frustrated at having a reasonably high IQ and, and being told I'm stupid every day so I was sad, I was depressed, I was suicidal um, then, I, then I had the, the, the young adult in a job, my first job, my second job the, that that guy, what would I tell him? You know, my, my young boy is my young self. I'd tell similar stuff to I tell my son. You know, I'm, don't rush it. Don't try and figure it all out. Don't stress about trying to grow up faster. Just be a child. It's amazing. We don't realise how good it is until we get older. Every everybody's parents say it's fabulous being a child. No child says no. You're right. It's amazing. They all say, I want to be 14, I want to be 16, I want to be 18, I want to drink, I want to drive, I want my own house. We're just rushing through life. So, you know, if I could go back and tell my 13-year-old son, one thing I'd tell him is, it's going to be all right. Don't worry, you'll turn out okay. Um, And you'll be somebody you can be proud of. That's a huge thing for me. Up until being 40, I wasn't really proud of myself. So the whole journey, whichever version of me it was, I wasn't proud. I wasn't somebody I'd be like, I'd introduce you to pretty much anybody. Um, that'd be a message I'd try to get back to all the different versions of me. Try and try and make yourself proud of yourself. Don't worry too much about what other people think of you. If you're proud of yourself, there's a good chance you'll be a decent human being. If you're a decent human being, then other people will like you anyway by default. Stop running around trying to please everybody else and what do they want you to be. Who do you want to be? It was one message to give back to whichever version of me it would be. Be proud of yourself and, and don't worry too much about the future because it might turn out okay. <laughs> Paul Evans is the founder of Solutions Leisure, based out of the base since 2011, which they kicked off with the build of Q43 at Media One. Today, the company welcomes over 140,000 visitors across Q43, Lock, Stock and Barrel, Karma Cafe, SDK, Asia Asia, and more. The Journey is a podcast brought to you by Volkswagen. I'm Yasmin. We are produced by Chirag Desai, Peter Mazlumian, and Ria Samuel, with support from Robert Babekal and Akta Saran. Original music by Reiner Erlings. 
Subscribe for free in your favorite podcast players like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Anrami. You can also find our videos at youtube.com slash Volkswagen Middle East and connect with us on Instagram at Volkswagen, I'm Eni.